Good evening, everyone. I see that most of our presenters have joined us now. Welcome, David and Mirabai and Peter, and welcome everybody else. This is Jenny Bradbury from PBS Teachers Live, and we're very excited to see so many folks with us here for tonight's webinar. We're going to get started in just over 12 minutes. So in the meantime, please feel free to uh, look to your right. You'll see that there are instructions on the slide there for confirming your connection speed and getting your speakers set up and creating a profile if you'd like to. But if you don't feel like going through the effort of creating a profile, you can also chat in the chat window and let us know who you are and where you are. And please feel free to ask any last minute questions now um, while you're waiting. And uh, I will do my best to answer them. The question, will there be video? No, there's not any video. Well, well, we will be showing video clips tonight. So we'll show you a couple of clips from the film, The Buddha by David Grubin. But we will not be showing any other video. You won't be seeing us on, um, on video using webcams or anything like that. At the tone, you will be the fourth caller in the conference. To mute or unmute your line during the call, please press star six at any time. Someone is. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to see if I could be heard. I can hear you, David. Okay, now I'm getting feedback. So you'll need to go down on uh, to the bottom of the right, oh, sorry, the left-hand column, and click on the little icon that looks like a telephone handset. Yes. Okay. And it'll pop up a window, and then click OK. Okay. And now it recognizes okay. that you're on the telephone, so you shouldn't get feedback anymore. Does it sound okay now? Oh, good. Uh, okay. Very good. And can you hear me? I can hear very well. Okay, great. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we moderators can hear each other, but the others, the participants Everyone cannot hear us. us. Is that correct? Can nope. Everyone hears us. <laughs> Be careful what you say. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But when we write something, does everybody see that also? Everyone sees that too, unless uh, there's a drop-down menu next to the send button, and you oh, I see, I see. choose to I just understand. send something to the moderators. But if you, you send it to this room, which is the default, then everyone sees that. So uh, Amy's now here with us. Okay. So it looks like she's connecting to the telephone, I hope. And I'm actually going to hop off my headset and connect on the telephone as well. So. Hi, it's Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. <laughs> David, I heard the Asia Society screening went really well. Oh my, yeah, it was it was amazing to see I, it there. I wish I had been there. Yeah. Um, you know, it was Packed. <laughs> they were turning the people away. I bet. And the also, it's the only time I'll ever see it. Probably just the theater. way I imagined it, with every you know all this uh, very high quality sound and and uh, so it was really you know very good. Oh, great. Where, where, where you were in Hawaii? I was yeah, flying back from uh, Hawaii. That was even more painful. That's not a bad place. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Joan and Al loved it. Oh yes, I got a very nice note from uh, yeah. Joan. I mean, you know, all these little things that are coming in. Um, 
all, all these little notes. Are, 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 the, are the, uh, Is everybody also online listening? I see little notes coming in. Oh, little notes are coming in. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, do we do we do we send notes back? We can, I think. You can do anything. But yeah, uh, but yeah. are people? Yes. Oh, yes, we are listening. Yeah. Good. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see. But they can, no one can talk. They just can hear. Very good. Oh, well, that's probably a good thing since hundreds of people talking at once wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I see. I can hear you, Vakan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> you can tell me. Yeah. Okay, I, I just. Um, I see. webinar. Welcome. We're so glad you're joining us for your first PBS Teachers Live webinar. Really, there's not a whole lot that you need to do other than uh, listen and do exactly what you did by typing in the chat window. We'll be taking people's questions and comments via the chat window. So as long as you can hear us, you should be all set. We'll be showing you some videos tonight and we'll be uh, talking and, uh, and then we'll be chatting with you in the chat window. So. Uh, let us know if you have questions about any of that, but otherwise you seem to be uh, doing exactly what you should be doing. Yes, Stacy said if you can read these notes and hear people, you're good to go. And just so folks know, we are recording tonight's event, so we'll post recordings on the PBS Teachers Live and Classroom 2.0 website uh, as early as possible, hopefully tomorrow. It takes us until Monday to do that, but if you have any friends or colleagues who aren't able to join us tonight, or if you want to have the option of going back and, and listening and watching the event again after tonight, we will provide those recordings for you.
We're at 100 mark. That's very exciting, and we still have just under three minutes to go. So thank you, everyone, so much for being here with us tonight, and welcome. If this is your first PBS Teachers Live event, we're excited to have you join us for the first time. And I know by looking in the chat window, or sorry, in the participant window, that some of you are regulars, so it's great to have you joining us again. Um, we will get started in just over two and a half minutes. In the meantime, please feel free to uh, follow the directions on the slide to the right and make sure that your connection speed is uh, set up right so that you can follow along and that your, your speakers are working so you should be able to hear me speaking right now. Uh, you can also set up a profile if you have the time and inclination, but you don't need to. That's an optional thing. You can just chat in the chat window as folks are doing right now and let us know a little bit about yourself. And we'll be using the chat throughout tonight's event to uh, take questions and, and have people comment on what the speakers are saying and showing. So uh, you should become familiar with that now. And I'll give a little bit of an orientation to Illuminate in a couple minutes when we get started. Although he's not one of our presenters tonight, Ansana is here with us to create the beautiful The Buddha website on PBS.org. And he just shared in the chat window uh, the link to the Facebook page. If any of you have not uh, already signed up via Facebook, I, I definitely recommend it. There are some terrific discussions happening there and a lot of really useful information about the film and, and the topics um, related to it. Um, also, the hashtag for tonight, if you're tweeting, is I'll put that in the in the window now. It's uh, the Buddha PBS. So, if you want to tweet and and let folks out there know about this event and that they can come join us, please uh, please do now. Okay, the timer has timed out, which means that we are officially underway. So welcome everybody to PBS Teachers Live. And thank you so much for joining us. This is a webinar series that is co-produced by PBS Teachers and Classroom 2.0. Unfortunately, my co-moderator, Steve Hargadon, the creator of Classroom 2.0, is unable to join us tonight. He was very sorry to miss it. But we do have Kim Case here from Illuminate to help out with any technical questions. So if you have any issues with um, video or audio or being able to chat during the event, please go ahead and, um, well, if you, if you can't chat, you can't chat. But otherwise, if you have technical issues, please go ahead and put those in the chat window. And we'll do our best to address those during tonight's event. Just so you know, we will be recording the event tonight, and we'll be posting those recordings on both the PBS.org and Classroom 2.0 website. So 
you'll be able to revisit the recording and grab all the great links and examples that are being shown to you by the presenters. And you'll also be able to share the event with colleagues and friends who may not have been able to join us tonight. Before we get started, uh, I just want to give folks uh, a brief introduction to Illuminate. This is our title slide, The Buddha Teaching Mindfulness. Hopefully you're all here for the right event. And uh, this is a quick orientation to Illuminate. So you'll see on the top left there's a participant window, and you should see your name in there as well as the names of all of the other folks who are here tonight. Uh, to the just below that, there's an icon for raising your hand. Uh, if you have a question, though, we really encourage you to just go ahead and put that into the chat window, and we'll do our best to answer it. Uh, a lot of times, people raise their hands accidentally. If you do that, you can click on that same icon again, and it'll put your hand back down. So no worries about that. To the right of that, there are a few emoticons. So there's a smiley face. If you like what you're hearing, you can give a smiley face or a clapping hand. If you're confused by what you're hearing, you can give us this little squiggly mouth guy. Um, and there's also a thumbs down, but hopefully we won't get any of those tonight. And then if you move over to the right, you'll see that there are an A, B, C, D, and E. This is part of the polling feature in Illuminate. We are going to be asking a couple of questions up front because we'd like to know who's here tonight. So um, to participate in the poll, you just have to click on one of those letters, or we'll, um, and it'll put that letter next to your name. So I just clicked on the A, and you should see in the top of the participant window that there's now an A next to my name. Um, then if you go down, there's the chat window. As you'll see, many of you are chatting already. Uh, the default setting for the chat is this room. If you send something to this room, everybody sees it. There's a drop-down menu there, though, which allows you to send messages just to moderators or to selected participants. But the little I over on the right indicates that those chats, while they are private from other participants, they're not private from moderators. So. Our speakers tonight and Kim and I will see everything that people say in the chat window. So please uh, be kind in, in your comments in the chat window. Uh, below that is the audio teleconference. You should hopefully be hearing us just fine. You shouldn't need to use a microphone at all tonight. We'll just be using the chat window for people to ask questions and make comments. Then you'll see to the left of the slide deck over here on the right, there are a set of whiteboard tools. We're going to be using one in just a second, so I'm going to go ahead and flip to the next slide. If you look in that area of whiteboard tools, about halfway down in the right-hand column, there is an icon that looks like a magic wand with a red dot on the end. If you click on that and then click on the map, you can show us where you're participating from. So go ahead and do that now, please. And we'll be zooming in in a moment to look at the map of the of the U.S., but I know we have someone here from Ireland and, and some folks from Canada and maybe folks from other places as well. So um, sort of fun to see where everyone is, is coming from. Oh, we have someone over in India, it looks like. Wow. Uh, Nepal, it's hard to tell. You can tell us in the chat window exactly where you are if you want to give us a little bit more uh, specific information. So now I'm going to go ahead and move us to the U.S. slide. So if you use that same icon again, those of you who are in the U.S., you can show us where in the U.S. you are. We're pretty spread out tonight, which is great. Yeah. 
Okay, and I'm going to keep us moving. So um, terrific to see so many folks here. Uh, this is a, an overview of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, first, we're, we're joined by David Grubin, award-winning director, writer, and cinematographer who has created many films for PBS, um, including a lot of biographies that have aired as part of the American Experience series and a five-part series with Bill Moyers called Healing and the Mind. And tonight he's going to tell us about his brand new film, which airs in, um, in April, April 7th, called The Buddha. So he'll be joining us. Then we're joined by Mirabai Bush, who um, is from the Center for Contemplative Mind and um, has been very involved with this project, helping to create a lot of the wonderful resources on the website, which we're going to show you a little bit later. Peter Brown is a teacher um, who teaches about Buddha and Buddhism in a school in California, and he's going to share with you some of the resources and techniques that he uses with his students. And Dr. Amy Saltzman is an educator and physician who is going, doing some very interesting research and also some education around mindfulness, and she's going to share with you uh, her work. And then we'll have a Q&A session, and then we'll um, We'll give you a tour of the website and um, and a, a little bit of wrap up to let you know what else we have uh, coming down the pike in the PBS Teachers Live series. So uh, terrific to have you all here. Um, before we get started in, in, in presenting, we want to find out who we have with us tonight. So if you could use those polling features that I pointed out before and give us an A, B, C, D, or E to let us know um, who you teach, assuming that you do teach. Okay, and if, if those of you who might be having trouble, you, you don't click on the slide itself. You click on the letters that are just below the participants window over to the left. You should see an A, B, C, D, or E there. So it looks like we have a critical mass represented here. So I'm going to go ahead and publish these results. So it looks like we have a lot of either people who didn't answer or else a pretty uh, split representation. A lot of others. Um, if you're an other, you can always tell us in the chat window what exactly other means. But we have um, it's a, a lot of elementary, with quite a few college, so that's interesting to see. Um, I'm going to go ahead to our next slide. If you could tell us what, uh, if you are a teacher, what subject area you teach. And unfortunately, we were limited to five categories. So if you don't see yourself represented in this, these subjects, please feel free to go ahead and, and tell us in the chat window what what it is that you teach. Okay, and we'll publish these results. So again, a lot of others and none, but we do have some language arts and English folks and some social studies and history people and uh, a few folks who teach the arts, so um, it's interesting to see. Okay. Well, before I, I get into introducing David, I did. I meant to say up front just a couple things. I, I told you all that this is being recorded, so rest assured you can access it later. I also wanted to mention that if you want to get a letter confirming your attendance at tonight's event, you should fill out the survey that's going to pop up at the very end of tonight's webinar, and we will send you a letter uh, confirming that you were here because some folks use these events to earn professional development credits. And then just a note about etiquette in the chat. I, I see everyone is being very friendly and on topic right now. But I did just want to um, make sure that everyone knows that um, we, we ask everyone to please be as 
as constructive and polite as possible in the chat space, especially when we have a crowd of this size, which is, is large and that's terrific to see. So without further ado, I want to introduce David Grubin, who, as I mentioned, is a filmmaker, an award-winning filmmaker, uh, who has done a lot of projects for PBS, and he's here tonight to tell us about his film, The Buddha. So welcome, David. Thank you. I've never done this before, so this is quite an interesting experience, and I'll, I'll try to um, you know, work my way into it. Um, it seems it's like a, a lot of fun. I saw people chatting. Um, about um, having read Siddhartha, and you know that's a that's a book, and how difficult it is for some high school kids, and that's a book I read in college, and um, it it really didn't touch me then, but it tells you something about teachers and the way in which you have an effect over time, because eventually it did touch me in a way, and I knew the story, and then I, I wanted to know more about it, and maybe a time, you know, one of these time of life things, and which and it led me to do this uh, film about the Buddha, and. It's just it's wonderful that you're to, to be talking to teachers um, because this the story of the Buddha's life is is an incredible opportunity to bring 2,500 years of accumulated wisdom into the classroom. It, it really is a wisdom story, a wisdom tradition, and and uh, it's one it's it's just terrific that you're um, you know thinking of using aspects of it practices. Um, what I'd like to contribute tonight is, is show you a couple of excerpts from the film and and tell you some of the insights I gathered in making it. And, and I think I should begin by talking a little bit about the Buddha. And you'll see how that led into the, the kind of film I made. Um, as, as most of you know, the Buddha was not a god. And the Buddha was not God's emissary on earth. He was a human being. And he lived 2,500 years ago, 500 years before the birth of Jesus. So the stories say he was born a prince, Prince Siddhartha. He grew up in a palace. Every imaginable luxury was his. And his parents, like most parents, wanted to protect him from the pain and the suffering in the world. But when he was 19, he, he saw a sick man. When he was 29, he saw a sick man. He saw an old man. He saw a corpse. And this stunned him. And he, he, he decided to leave the palace and all his pleasures behind him. And he wanted to find out what life was truly about. So here's a, he grew up and he left home. I mean, I think this is a story that all, all of your, your students can identify with. Now that's how the story goes. So one of my first questions was, well, did this really happen? And what I found out was is that in the 19th century, scholars went in search of the historical Buddha, and they came up empty-handed. That they, what they found was that the, the Buddha of history passed into legend and myth from the moment of his death. And when I realized this, it freed me to make the film because I knew that I could place the story of his life in its historical context in ancient India. We do know a lot about what India was like 2,500 years ago. But I wasn't really interested in what the Buddha really did because that didn't really matter to me. What did matter to me is the meaning of what he did. In other words, the story of what he did and, and the hope that we can take in the message of the story. And what I, what I began to understand in the kind of film I, I, I made was um, to try to, it was to understand that this is an archetypal story. And it's open to, to many interpretations not unlike the stories in our own Bible. And for millennia, Buddhists have found different meanings in the story. So 
the question I really tried to answer in the film was not what did the Buddha really do, but rather what was his message and how can it help us to live richer, fuller, more meaningful lives. And so what I thought I'd do now is show you the way in which the film begins, just the first um, two and a half, three minutes of the film, um, and uh, then I can talk a little bit more after that and, and show you another clip. So why don't, why don't we go from there? Terrific. Thanks, David. So I'm going to, you should see a window pop up now for you on your own computer with a YouTube clip. And uh, if you're having issues with volume, you may need to adjust the volume on your own computer. But this should start playing for you shortly. Twenty-five hundred years ago, the stories say that before his birth, his mother became the queen of a small country, became the queen of a small kingdom, and a dream. Place to begin. That's where we begin. 
no matter what your circumstances, you will end up losing everything you love, you will end up aging, you will end up ill. And the problem is that we need to figure out how to make that all be alright. So, um, you, this is David again, and, and you can see that the film begins with that animation. I'm glad some of you liked it, and I think that is the kind of thing that would be attractive to students, and it, for me it was start with the story, begin telling the story right away, because that's what this, this film is going to be about. And the other thing that I wanted to do right in the beginning was to introduce the audience to the Buddhist thinking, and the essential in his thinking, as W.S. Merwin says, is the Buddha begins with the recognition of suffering. And so we bring that right right up to the beginning because everything is built on that foundation. You know, the French philosopher Descartes built his system on another, on another idea, on another certainty in his mind. I think, therefore I am. And he begins with his head. The Buddha begins with his heart. And he asks the question, what can we do about suffering? And he finds a path, a way to deal with suffering. And that's what the film is going to show us, how, how, how he understood that. And if we've been able to see a little bit more from this excerpt, you would hear Jane Hirschfield, the poet, say, and what the Buddha found, we can find too. And that, in a way, is the message of the film. That is, we can all find a way to change and grow, and we can all become the Buddha, that is, use, use the Buddha as a model and a guide to changing our lives. That's really where I want people to come out here. And so we, I put that very early in the film, that idea, but it's only through understanding the story and telling the story can you begin to, to, begin to see that. You know, Jane says right in the beginning, everyone likes a good story. And uh, shortly after, another uh, commentator says that, uh, and, and like any good story, the Buddha's story has a lot to teach us. And I keep emphasizing story because I think that stories are wonderful teaching tools. And um, students love stories. And the way I made the film was to ask a variety of people from His Holiness the Dalai Lama to, to, to the people you've seen there, Merwin, uh, a psychologist, a variety of interesting people, very wise people, I think, um, to interpret the story. So I would ask them, well, what does it mean that uh, the Buddha, that is Prince Siddhartha, leaves his wife and child behind when he's 29 to go out in search of enlightenment. But what do, you, what do you think about that? Or what is enlightenment that the Buddha attained? What is nirvana? Or when the Buddha dies, I ask them, should his disciples grieve? Uh, how do you react to the death of the Buddha? So um, I'm telling a story and asking people to interpret the story. Um, and that's the way the film works. I want to show you one more excerpt uh, before we uh, turn this over to the, some of our own experts that are here tonight. And I, I want to show you an ex excerpt that has to do with meditation because um, not only is it central to the Buddhist practice, uh, it, 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 meditation is growing in popularity here in America. And I thought it might be interesting to listen to the insights of two monastic practitioners I met in Nepal, a wonderful young Buddhist monk, a 23-year-old young man, and a Buddhist nun, and um, see what they have to say. I, I recently visited a class of high school students. These are smart kids. And um, they were beginning to learn mindfulness uh, practices, meditation practices. And 
but they they were under the the impression that doing meditation and emptying your mind of all thoughts and desires. So this section of the film, um, I think, may be an antidote to that in a, in a way of in, in a way of starting to think about that. So um, let's 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 roll that clip. Bliss, nirvana, the Buddha taught. Could be found in a fleeting moment through the practice of meditation. The Buddha showed his followers how to come to terms with their own roiling thoughts and desires by paying attention to them, by becoming aware, becoming mindful. As an ancient poem counsels, like an archer, an arrow, the wise man steadies his trembling mind. And at times our mind is not peaceful enough. We realize that perhaps we need to understand more about mind itself. And how to balance the difficulties come from within. So thanks for taking the time to, to look and to listen, and I'd like uh, that we would, let's uh, move on to the ec education experts. Great. Thank you so much, David. That was a really wonderful introduction to the film, and hopefully lots of folks um, have enjoyed the clips and will be inspired to tune in when the film airs on April 7th. 
Now I'd like to introduce Mirabai Bush, who's the co-director and senior fellow at Center for Contemplative Mind and Society in Northampton, Massachusetts. As I mentioned earlier, Mirabai has done a lot of work on this project, including on the website, um, and she's here to tell us about using the film with students. So Mirabai, welcome. Hi, everyone. Um, well, we've thought of several ways in which you could use this wonderful film. The first is as an, obviously as an introduction to Buddhism for those few of you who may be able who may be teaching a course in comparative religion. Um, you could, but you could also teach about the Buddha as part of world history or art, or teach his ideas as part of conflict resolution studies or philosophy or writing. Uh, the film brings up all the big questions. And as you can see from the trailer and more from the whole film when you see it, and as David said, the Buddha wasn't a god. He was an extraordinary human being who searched for the truth and found a path to it, which he then taught to many others. He wasn't a Buddhist, obviously. He didn't try to, he didn't try to found a religion, um, although one did get formed. And when I was just uh, watching the film again this afternoon, I was really struck at how much, more than anything, he was a teacher, a really good teacher. He simply shared with others the practices and the wisdom that he discovered in a systematic set of trainings to develop compassion and fill the highest, fulfill the highest levels of human development. So you can present the film in a secular context as part of a history or a culture or a film course where it could be appreciated as the story of a man, a teacher, who offered insights that contributed to the evolution of the human spirit available to all. Um, today, as I, I think David just said, um, it's this path of practice and meditation that uh, draws most Western students to Buddhism. Another way in which the film can be used in Western classrooms in, in, at any grade level is to introduce the basic practice that the Buddha taught called mindfulness into the classroom to help students learn. Not the story of the Buddha, but the, the practice that the Buddha taught that the story is about. So many teachers are doing this in both public and private schools. Many of you, I can see from the chat, many of you are doing it, and um, others of you know other people who are doing it. Um, and it's happening from kindergarten through higher education. Um, mindfulness, um, as, as is, has already been said, that is a way of paying attention here and now, right now, with kindness and curiosity. It's utterly secular. It came from the Buddha, but it's essentially a human practice and can be introduced with no religious connection at all. It's simply finding a still place within from which to notice your breath, breathing in and breathing out, or your thoughts or your emotions. The Center for Contemplative Minds has taught mindfulness in every different kind of context, in corporations and in law schools and in government offices, even to the military, as a strictly secular, helpful human practice for waking up to what is happening in the present moment. Mindfulness brings students into an alert but relaxed awareness of themselves, their minds, and their bodies, and their surroundings. New research is showing that mindfulness increases attention skills, 
reduces test anxiety, and it improves emotional regulation. It, um, within that, there are things like it allows you to hold two conflicting ideas in the mind at the same time. I'm sure you try to get your students to do that. At Google, the um, Center for Contemplative Mind designed a mindfulness course called Search Inside Yourself. And we're finding that mindfulness improves all the capacities of emotional intelligence, really important in the classroom, self-awareness, empathy, motivation, self-regulation, and social skills. There's lots more information on mindfulness research at contemplativemind.org. Amy's going to talk about more in her piece. And there's more on teaching mindfulness at the Buddha website, lots more, um, including a really great guide that was just posted tonight, <laughs> which uh, Amy uh, wrote. So today, Amy Salzman, Director of the Association of Mindfulness and Education, which is a collaborative association of organizations and individuals, uh, you should check it out, working together to, support, to provide support for mindfulness training in K through 12. We'll talk about introducing mindfulness in the classroom. And Peter Brown, who teaches a course in comparative religion at the independent Menlo School in Menlo Park, California, is just about to talk about teaching the life of the Buddha. I hope you enjoy it. Peter? Oh, thanks, thanks Mirabai. Um, in addition to this wonderful new film, um, there are abundant curricular resources available for teaching Buddhism for varied educational populations and needs. Um, I noticed from the chat room that many of you um, are, are involved in some way in this kind of work, and, and you may have uh, seen great ideas for teaching it as well. Um, some of you guys teach in a, in, a, in, a, in a conventional school or teach in a secondary school. I'm, I'm going to be talking uh, about my own student population and the curriculum that I use with my own context in mind. But I'm happy to talk with you more uh, after this or uh, by email after the webinar, if you'd like, as well. I'm part of a team that teaches a comparative religion course at a private uh, college preparatory school on the San Francisco Peninsula, as Mirabai said. It's called Menlo School. While my school has no religious affiliation, this course is a core requirement, and all students take world religions as their history course for ninth grade. It's worth noting that a survey course in world religions, including Buddhism, is one option for ninth grade in the California history social science frameworks for public schools. The purpose of our comparative world religions course is not to encourage or discourage any particular religious affiliation or identity, but rather to help students understand the peoples of the world, and on a more personal level, to develop their own answers to eternal questions that the religions or, or wisdom, uh, wisdom traditions, as David said, ask and answer. Because traditions like Buddhism are best experienced as well as read, studied, and analyzed in the standard academic way. We try to give students real, tangible experiences in the class and also encourage students to attend religious activities outside of class wherever feasible. In fact, one of the highlights for my students during the Buddhism unit is an optional visit to a meditation center in the Buddhist tradition in our neighborhood. We spend the afternoon meditating and listening to um, Buddhist teachings from a skilled uh, and wise uh, Buddhist teacher. There's no substitute for giving students exposure to people who are steeped in the wisdom of the tradition. So um, that would be one of the, of the things I would recommend. Um, 
my unit on Buddhism, here's an excerpt of my course outline, which I don't know if you can read too well, but there it is. My unit on Buddhism is 15 class periods of about 55 minutes as part of a semester-long inquiry into primal and Eastern religions. The unit on Buddhism is taught after the one on Hinduism and before the one on Chinese religions, including Taoism and Confucianism. My unit is uh, about three days devoted to the story of the Buddha, uh, which is the focus of the new film, about four to the Dharma, uh, which is Buddhist teachings, which is also a focus of the film, and then three to learning some of the Buddhist denominations and subgroups. And the way the remainder of my unit is revisiting the earlier themes, the story of, of the Buddha's life, the story of the Buddha's teachings, and also devoted to a challenging classic that some of us were talking about in the chat room before called uh, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Uh, that's a book that some of my high school students uh, find very, very challenging. But um, there's, a, there's a lot of emphasis in, at my school on academics and, and, and reading and writing. So this is... Uh, it's an opportunity to experience a wonderful classic novel, but also we do a lot of writing activities around that. I'll describe about four or five of the highlights of my, my unit. I've mentioned the visitations to, to Buddhist centers. I would put that up there, number one. My team and I use essential questions as, a, as through lines for the year. The same ones are, are asked for all the religious units, including the one on Buddhism. Uh, because I teach a year-long course, I have the luxury of revisiting these questions over time in a variety of ways. But I would use these questions even if I were teaching the unit on Buddhism in isolation from other units because they provide a way to engage students in the subject and because they hold intrinsic interest for students regardless of prior exposure or interest in the world's religions. The first question um, about freedom has particular resonance for my students. And, and I like it because freedom is a word that has both a religious and secular value. Many, many students at my school uh, are secular, agnostic, or atheist, identified in that way, or have little interest in religious questions per se. But they are interested in freedom. And typically, they define freedom as an absence of constraint, say, from parents or oppressive teachers who are giving them homework or other conditions. And I hope by the end of the unit on Buddhism that um, amongst other things, students will be able to fruitfully compare and contrast in writing their earlier answers about freedom with a new understanding of how the Buddha might define freedom. And watching the PBS film, The Buddha, and, and the, the eloquent poets, some of whom we saw before, and the Buddhist scholars and the Buddhist leaders, uh, they, that gave me more ideas about how I would answer this question for myself. I would just say that as a, as a teacher, teaching Buddhism offers a particular good opportunity for developing reflective writing skills. Um, whether one is teaching humanities, as Mirabai said, you can teach it in a, uh, Buddhism in a lot of different contexts, uh, philosophy, religion, English. Because the Buddha's teachings are so clear about the importance of discovering truth based on one's own experiences, it really lends itself to activities that develop uh, writing and reflection. So each day we begin with a few minutes of uh, meditation or mindfulness activities, and I'll use those terms interchangeably. I tell, I tell the students that uh, the Buddha emphasized the importance of training as an athlete would, and that meditation is an important part of that training. And because my students are involved in all kinds of training in arts and sports, and of course as, as young scholars, they easily relate to this idea. Um, 
you're seeing some pictures of them here. Of course, they, they love the, the meditation activities that we do lying down, but we also do ones on sound and we do them standing up. They don't need to be a big deal. A few minutes, a three minutes in an academic class I find is plenty, especially at first. But the benefits they bring, uh, I would second what Mirabai said in my own experience teaching, teaching this um, in terms of student focus, a calmness, attentiveness. Uh, it's all palpable. But, and that itself is, is good enough reason to do them. But if one is teaching a class in Buddhism, as I am, these activities are a wonderful way to draw students into the Buddhist teachings themselves. Um, I like to begin my teaching about Buddhism with the simplest telling of the Buddhist story, as David said, through, through the art of the film is a wonderful way to introduce it. I have the students read selectively, or I read to them from a children's version of the, uh, of the Buddha's life. And I want them to understand the story, uh, the concrete story first before layering it with, with metaphor and meaning, which is uh, one, of the, one of the wonderful aspects of the new movie that's coming out. When teaching the, the Buddha's teachings, again, I, I want to emphasize the Buddha's non-theistic approach, his empiricism, his view that one should be scientists of one's own experiences, lamps unto oneself. And this resonates with my students. And I, I try to teach some of the central teachings, such as the ones you see here, the Four Noble Truths, um, the, the, three, the Three Marks of Existence, and the Eightfold Path through a series of writing and reflective ex exercises. Um, so uh, one, one exercise, I have the slide on the Four Noble Truths up here, um, involves the First Noble Truth, the, the truth of dukkha. And I like to use the Pali words uh, for these terms. Dukkha is often translated as suffering, but it's not really a great translation. It's better translated as dissatisfaction or irritation, annoyance. Um, because there's not really a great translation, I, I just leave it in its, in its uh, original form. Uh, one, one way I've heard Dukkha described is it's anything, uh, it runs the range, anything from an itch to getting hit by a Mack truck. So there's a big range in there. So I would have the kids explore the truth of dukkha for them. Is this true for you? Um, do they experience dukkha in their lives? And one way to introduce this is right after a meditation activity, a real simple meditation or mindfulness activity, uh, maybe having students uh, count their breaths, count in 10, in 10 breaths. And anyone who's done any of this activity, and I know a lot of you have, um, are familiar with the tendency of the mind to, to jump all over the place. Uh, the mind is fickle, as someone in the chat room just said, or, or you know, like a drunken monkey. So um, this is one example that the students can experience right there, the, the dukkha, the, the, the difficulty of just focusing the mind on counting 10 breaths. Um, not that most students have trouble finding dissatisfaction in their lives. They're, they're really good at that, as, as most of us are. So they're able to describe that. And the second, and I would have them write about that in some cases. I would have them share it. The second noble truth is an interesting one, because the, the second noble truth is the cause of dukkha, of dissatisfaction, is tanha, which uh, again is often mistranslated as desire, but is better translated as uh, craving or um, grasping or thirsting or greed or lusting. So I would have students once again look at the dukkha that they just described in their first reflective writing exercise and then look at that again. And I would challenge them because the Buddha didn't want anyone to take these on uh, these, these truths on faith. He wanted them to, to, 
to try he wanted people to try them on in their own lives and and challenge them so i in that spirit, I asked the, the kids to find if there is grasping or clinging that's the source of their dissatisfaction. And I have them write about this and, and, and share their writings first in small groups and with the, group, with the larger group. And I find this is a fruitful way to, to go through the teachings of the, of the Buddha. There is the fourth noble truth. There's a training that one can do to end suffering, or another way to put it is for happiness. And that training is the Noble Eightfold Path. And I like to use in this uh, training, I like in this teaching, I like to use the metaphor of the path and just develop it artistically. So I have the kids draw a trail and the eight steps on the trail. But um, I'm realizing that my time is, is a little uh, coming a little bit short, so I want to skip to the third uh, step, which is right speech, which the students have taught me is what really is, is most important to them. They're all important. All these steps are important. But the precept is an ethical precept of right speech, which means uh, speech that is truthful, timely, helpful, and kind. Um, that one really resonates with them. And in one of my uh, colleagues' class, we, we still don't know who it was, my, maybe my colleague Andy Kidd or my colleague uh, Martin Newton, both of, who, uh, other teachers who teach uh, this class or did teach this class, uh, their students started drawing this uh, R. On, their, on the backs of their hands, and they would flash it at one another when they experienced or when they suspected um, wrong speech, speech that wasn't truthful, timely, helpful, or kind. And I think that's a great example of students taking what um, is might seem as a foreign or exotic or abstract philosophy or religion, Buddhism, and applying it in real direct ways. As David Grubin said at the beginning, um, these aren't so much religious teachings as uh, secular teachings and teachings that can be applied in various various ways. So I'm, I'm nearing my time. I, I'll just uh, scroll through some of the resources that I use. Um, Diana Winston is an expert in teaching um, Buddhism to youth, and she has a book called Wide Awake. She's at UCLA now, and I would recommend her work. Uh, if you're in the Bay Area, some of you are, uh, Youth Yoga Dharma is um, a, a, an organization that offers classes for teachers teaching Buddhism. I took that one of the classes with, uh, with them, and it was great. Of course, if, you, if you're lucky enough to be near a Buddhist center, many of them have programs for youth. Here's one at Spirit Rock, also in the Bay Area. Uh, but if you're not near a Buddhist center, and some of you are far afield, there also are lots of audio resources um, available. Uh, these are two free, two, uh, two ones. All of them available free. There is the famous Hesse Siddhartha book, and here are some other books that I read. And I'd be happy to talk with you in the chat room more about this or afterwards. Thanks a lot. And now um, I think I'll turn it over to Amy for the next part. Thanks, Peter. And I wanted to say that um, I will be able to stay later for questions and maybe uh, Peter and David and Mirabai, you can let people know. And we're going to move through this at a reasonable pace and I prefer not to rush. The other thing is, um, David, thank you so much. You and the healing and the mind is actually how I came to be doing this work. So my deep appreciation for that. And um, there are a lot of resources. There will be a document going up on the web that is going to contain all the research and um, additional resources that I mentioned, so you don't need to feel like you need to be scribbling while I'm talking. And the last thing I'm going to say is I will not be reading the chat while I'm speaking because I can only do one thing at a time. 
I have a a particular job here today, and my job um, is while is to talk about um, delineate the distinction between teaching the life of the Buddha and Buddhism and teaching the practices of mindfulness. And so before I begin, it would be very helpful for me to know what your experience with mindfulness is. So if you can, again, use the letters at the bottom right underneath the participant's window, we can get a sense just of who's here. And when we have um, a quorum, Jenny will kindly press the magic button so we have a sense. Great. Okay. So that gives me a sense. And so, um, Jenny, I'm clicking and it's not going forward. There we go. So as um, Mirabai said, I think she borrowed the definition that I need with children and adolescents. When I'm teaching uh, to children and adolescents, and actually more and more often when I'm teaching to adults, I define mindfulness as paying attention to your life here and now with kindness and curiosity. And the little emblem below is simply meant to symbolize the open-heartedness of mindfulness. Uh, and as David said, it's really a practice of the heart. So it could also be called heartfulness. So what can we pay attention to? And as I'm speaking, you may want to take a moment and briefly attend to these things as I'm mentioning them. So we can pay attention to sight. So many of you may be looking at the slide. We can pay attention to sound. So there's the sound of my voice and perhaps other sounds nearby for you. Smell, touch, so simply the touch of your clothing on your skin, and taste. We can also attend to our thoughts. And um, children and adolescents find it particularly helpful to attend to what I call unkind mind, which is the part of our mind that um, judges and compares and criticizes the negative internal chatter. We can pay attention to our emotions. And many of our more distressing emotions are actually based on untrue thoughts. And so we can also pay attention to that connection. When we have this internal information, we can then pay attention to our interactions uh, in, at, with others and our interactions in the world. And the world really means anything from the world of our families and our classrooms to our local communities to the world as a whole. And um, paying attention in and of itself is very helpful. But what matters more to me um, and what I emphasize when I'm teaching is that this type of paying attention then allows for choice. And um, specifically, it allows us to choose how we respond in various situations 
rather than reacting out of habit. And thereby emphasize this, but if there's one thing that you take away from this section of the webinar, I would like it to be this. Mindfulness is a natural human capacity, and one does not need to be Buddhist or spiritual or any other label that you might want to tie on there um, to practice mindfulness any more than one needs to be Italian to enjoy pizza. So now I'm going to ask that we stop chatting, and if you have other browsers or your email open or you're texting your friends about how great the webinar is, I'm going to ask that all that come to a pause. And I'm going to introduce you to the still quiet place. So if you're willing, close your eyes, and if not, perhaps look at the beautiful iris that's here, and bring your attention to the breath. And see if you can actually feel the breath in the belly, feeling the breath and the expansion of the belly as you breathe in, and the release of the belly as you breathe out. To the best of your ability, bringing all your attention to rest on the movement of the breath in the belly. And now seeing if you can feel the entire in-breath from the very first bit of expansion all the way through to where the breath is still. And the full out-breath from the very first release all the way through to where the breath is still again. Feeling the rhythm of the breath in, still, out, still. And now seeing if you can let your attention rest in that still quiet space between the in-breath and the out-breath. and rest again in the still quiet space between the out-breath and the in-breath. And perhaps some of you are now feeling a sense of stillness and quietness inside of you, and if you're not, that's fine too. And there is a stillness and quietness that lives inside each of us, and it's always there when we're excited or nervous, angry or afraid, when we're doing math or playing baseball or arguing with our parents. That stillness and quietness is always with us, and it's available. 
And the easiest way to find it is by following the breath, as we just did. So now you may return to chatting if you so choose, and we will continue. Um, I want to speak briefly about the 30 years of research on mindfulness-based stress reduction in adults. And in short, that research tells us that adults who practice mindfulness have decreased stress, depression, anxiety, hostility, increased stress hardiness, sense of meaning and purpose, increased immunity, so think about your classrooms in October, and increased activity in the right prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brains that are responsible for positive emotions. I want to speak more specifically about the personal and professional benefits of practicing mindfulness. So there is research from um, caring professions, and I definitely put teaching in the category of a caring profession with all its attendant joys and challenges. And this research, and now I'm talking specifically about an article published in JAMA in September of last year, and this was with physicians, showed decreased burnout, decreased emotional exhaustion and depersonalization, increased emotional stability, conscientiousness, personal accomplishment, and empathy. When we look at research specifically done with teachers, and this is the eight-week SMART program curriculum, uh, teachers who practice mindfulness had increased work satisfaction and decreased occupational stress. And again, all these research papers are listed in the supporting document, so no need to scribble. A recent paper by um, Chris Jennings and Mark Greenberg describes how when teachers practice stress reduction and mindfulness, it supports their social emotional competence. And this in turn enhances the classroom environment and the student's ability to learn as well as their social and emotional development. And based on their preliminary work, the Department of Education has funded a $1.2 million grant to further investigate these effects. As teachers in the classroom, you know that we are facing a variety of epidemics, attention deficit disorder, anxiety, depression, cutting, eating disorders, cruelty, bullying, hostility, and mindfulness practices have the potential to mitigate against these effects. The preliminary data um, for K through 12 uh, programs shows that children have increased attention and social skills and decreased test anxiety and ADHD behaviors. There's a beautiful study that was just published by Lisa Fluke from the um, Mindfulness Awareness Research Project at UCLA that showed that children with poor executive function um, had gains in behavioral regulation, metacognition, and overall executive control. 
my study with fourth through sixth graders in collaboration with the Department of Psychology at Stanford showed that children had increased ability to orient their attention and decreased in anxiety. And work by Gina Beagle showed that teens who practice mindfulness have reduced symptoms of anxiety, depression, physical distress, and increased self-esteem and sleep quality. And these improvements were dramatic enough that independent clinicians who didn't know which group the teens were in, um, looking at their medical charts, said that teens who had previously met the very strict medical criteria for anxiety and depression were no longer um, anxious and depressed by those criteria. So if any of this has sparked your interest in um, learning mindfulness either for your own health and well-being or to uh, bring to your students, uh, it's essential that you develop your own practice before you begin sharing these practices with your students. And that's like any other academic discipline. You, um, we require that math teachers know math and piano play the piano and basketball coaches know something about basketball before they share it with their students. So um, in closing, I just wanted to say that um, as a mother and a physician and a teacher, the reason that I teach this to children and adolescents is because it's the truest, perform, truest form of prevention that I know. And um, I see no reason for uh, children to wait until they're 40 and going through a divorce or having a health crisis to learn these skills. So thank you for your kind attention. May you discover your own internal stillness and quietness and then share that with your students. Great. Thank you so much, Amy, and all of our presenters. I'm going to pull up now the, uh, the website that we've been talking at, about so that folks can see uh, the guide that Amy has created and all of the other terrific resources that are available on the site. We hope that you'll visit this um, after tonight's webinar and, and study it in some detail. Uh, it should be coming up in a moment. Hopefully it's, it will be there soon. I'm happy to taking a little while on my computer, but I'm putting the URL into the chat window as well. It's pbs.org slash the Buddha. Can folks give me um, a smiley face if you're seeing this? Um. Oh, it's finally loading for me. It took a little while. We're saying blank screen, nothing yet. It's loading on my end, so hopefully it will load over there. But as I said, it's, it's pbs.org slash the Buddha, and I put the uh, URL in the chat window there. So I definitely encourage folks to visit the site after tonight's event. There's a section of the site that's called Educational Resources, and on that page is an original guide that uh, Dr. Amy Feltzman wrote, which has some terrific techniques that you can use for students in the classroom 
to share with them uh, the mindfulness practices, and it also has some of the research that she cited tonight. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and close the window because unfortunately it doesn't seem to be loading for people, but it's, it's a beautiful site and I hope that you'll visit it after tonight's event. Um, I wanted to let folks know that we have a, a couple upcoming webinars. Um, on April 5th, we'll be celebrating the 40th anniversary of Earth Day with a couple of filmmakers and some curriculum experts to share resources and strategies for celebrating this important anniversary. And on April 7th, we have a webinar focused on teaching the new diary of Anne Frank from Masterpiece. Uh, so that will be very interesting, particularly to those of you who are language arts and social studies teachers. So I hope you'll join us for those events. We hope you'll visit us at PBS Teachers, where we have thousands of free resources for educators, as well as a vibrant online community. And we want to thank Classroom 2.0, our co-sponsors of, of tonight's event, and we hope you'll, you'll visit there as well. They are a very active community of educators using technology, collaborative technologies that to improve teaching and learning. We want to thank Illuminate, our sponsor tonight. And um, I want to let folks know again that uh, tonight's event will be archived. Recordings will be available at both PBS Teachers and Classroom 2.0. So you can uh, access the whole recording. Uh, those of you, a couple people asked about getting copies of tonight's slides to share. If you look on the top menu, uh, all the way to the left, there's a little icon that looks like a disk. If you click on that, you can save the slides to your desktop so that you can share this presentation with others. And there will be a survey at the end of tonight's event that will pop up as soon as you close out of the Illuminate window. And if you'd like to get a letter confirming your attendance here tonight, please do fill out that survey um, and let us know, and we'll send that letter to you as soon as possible. So I, I want to thank all of our presenters for being here. You all did such a wonderful job of uh, sharing terrific information and also helping us to really sort of feel what you were uh, talking about. Uh, it, uh, Amy has generously offered to stick around for a few minutes for Q&A, and um, I, I believe our other presenters are willing as well. So. Folks, if you have questions now that you didn't ask previously and you want to uh, pose them, please do that in the chat space. And while we're uh, waiting for those questions to come in, I saw a couple questions that I wanted to uh, make sure got addressed. So one question came, Peter, you had mentioned that there is a children's book that you use with your students. And uh, someone asked what the name of that children's book is. Yeah, the name of it is Printa. The Story of the Buddha, and it's by Jonathan Landau and Janet Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E. And um, you know, I can give the ISBN number if you'd like. Would that be helpful? Uh, sure. Why not? It's zero. Actually, I just write in the chat space. Wouldn't that be easier? Perfect. Um, great. Um, and then Amy, I think this question was for you. Someone was asking if there's any research on mindfulness and autism or Asperger's. Um, I am not currently aware of any research on mindfulness, autism, and Asperger's. And there, there are many, many people who are interested in that area. And for connecting with those people and other people on specific topics, I would send people to mindfulnesstogether.net. Sorry, you said that was mindfulness together? I'll put it in the chat. I can do Terrific. that too. Terrific. Thank you. And it's also in the document um, 
the resource document. Terrific. So I see lots of praise. Any other questions, folks, before we sign off for the evening? Someone, I saw one though by I haven't been paying a lot of attention to the chat, but someone did ask about resources for for getting training. And again, those resources are in the um, document. And for people who already have a background in mindfulness, I'll be doing an online training in my curriculum so you can email me after for that information. And that training actually starts April 5th, which is the only reason I'm mentioning it specifically now. Great. Thank you, Amy. Someone said, who is talking? That's Dr. Amy Saltzman who's talking. So if you're interested in her training, um, all of our presenters provided their email addresses on the slide so you can contact them directly after tonight's event. Uh, a couple uh, nuts and bolts questions. Someone asked about copying the slides. If you look on the top left underneath where it says file, you'll see a little icon that looks like a disk. And if you click on that, it allows you to save the slides to your desktop. Um, other folks had asked about how they access the survey. When you're ready to leave Illuminate, you can just close the Illuminate window, or you can go to Session in the top menu and click on Leave Session. And as soon as you leave the session, the survey will pop up for you in a separate window so that you can fill that out. Jenny, can you also? Um, Tell people, I believe that Dan sent an email saying that the document um, for for teachers is not up yet on the site, but that it will be. Can you respond to that? Um, I thought it was up there. I just looked before this, and it looked like it was there. Okay. Dan, can is you tell us in the chat window if that's not the case? I see. I think is Dan still with us? Oh, he's he's going to answer us. Oh, he's going to give it to Stand us. Stand by, he says. Let's <laughs> do Jenny, if people are interested in some other uh, resources for teaching about Buddhism, um, I have some film clips uh, from commercial Hollywood films. We can't, we couldn't show them tonight. But um, if people just want to contact me, if they're interested in talking about that, um, some of these are really helpful to use in the classroom. They're about a minute long, and they they demonstrate uh, particular Buddhist teachings. So um, happy to to send those along if people are interested. That'd be great. There's also a question up here about how do you deal with opposition to mindfulness as a school topic. That's a big question, but this is Mirabai. I'll just say a couple of things. One is it's really helpful to to um, get into the resources and find out how many people and different people around the country are teaching it in different contexts, and also to uh, look at the research and um, explain. How effective mindfulness has been in increasing attention and uh, uh, emotional intelligence, and so on. It's a bigger question than that because there are a lot of political implications, also. But those—that's a good place to start. And I want to say um, that that is why I'm so adamant that it is a natural human capacity, and that it does not in any way need to be tied to the Buddha or Buddhism, and that there are teachers and students and patients and doctors and prison inmates and corporate CEOs who are practicing this 
on a daily basis. I see Dan has weighed in and said, and he's provided a link in the chat. Um, so yes, the uh, the guide is up live on the Buddha website, and you can access it immediately. Uh, so please, please do visit the site and and get the guide. There are some really, really great activities in there um, that I think you'll enjoy sharing with your students. Um, I don't know if who wants to field this question, but someone had asked about. Um, whether there are activities you can do um, in early childhood classrooms. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'll be happy to respond to that. Um, there, are, there are lots of people working in the domain of early childhood. And um, I actually, the way I came to teaching mindfulness to children is uh, when my son was three, he asked to practice with me. And so, I started making up practices for him, and some of those practices never left his bedroom, and others of them are on um, CDs. And there are other resources, and again, those are listed in the document and on the uh, Buddha website. Terrific. Thanks. Any other questions, folks? There, I, there may have been some. There's some a question slides. about uh, mindfulness uh, with inner city kids. and. Um, uh, Amy, you know more, but I will say yeah. that uh, we've done uh, lots of work with inner city young people and young people of color and so on, and it's been amazing. And and it has to be offered in the in the right way, in the right language, by the you know by teachers who get it and also get the lives of the the students they're teaching. But it's been really amazing. And if you want to know more about our work, which is with youth, which is more like uh, 14 to 21, email me and I can send you some things. But Amy knows about actually and in the classroom. Yeah, so in the classroom, um, the, the program that's doing this the most is called Wellness Works, and they're based out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And then in the community, um, there's the Lineage Project in New York and the Mind-Body Awareness Project in the Bay Area. Uh, but those are, those are all terrific resources um, for working with inner city and at-risk youth. I might just add uh, from the Bay Area perspective that the Oakland uh, urban schools, there's a great demand for, for mindfulness, uh, more so than can be met um, because they find so much, the school system and the students and the people who work there find so much benefit from, from it. Great. Um, Amy, I think you'll probably want to speak to this one. Leslie asks, what are the dangers in teaching mindfulness without having a grounded practice as a teacher? So, thank you for the question. Um, one of my favorite topics, actually. Uh, there is tremendous suffering in our classrooms, and the data actually showed. I mean, we tend to think of the low socioeconomic kids as um, kind of stressed, depressed, and anxious. And there's actually data from Columbia to show that our affluent kids are as stressed, depressed, and anxious as their low-income peers. And in any given classroom, there is a child or children who have lived through their own illness or the divorce of the parents or um, true abuse. And you, you never know. And so um, your, your practice, 
your ability to um, respond uh, needs to be able to meet whatever comes up um, in the teaching and meet it um, in a way that is truly helpful and skillful. And so you have to have explored your own internal territory to support somebody else in do, being able to do that. Here's a question about um, movement meditations in the classroom, like Qigong. Um, I guess there are lots of them, and many people have used them. And uh, it might be helpful to go to the Contemplative Mind website, and you'll see there we have what's called the Tree of Contemplative Practices. And it has about 50 different practices on it, including lots of movement practices uh, with, some, uh, with descriptions and links and so on. And, um, and then also go into uh, um, into our higher education section where although the population is different, the practices are the same. And you'll see lots of people using um, yoga and qigong and tai chi and uh, silent walking and walking the labyrinth and so on. And um, almost all mindfulness programs will include a portion of yoga, and conversely, most yoga pro programs will co include a portion of mindfulness. And so it has to do with the ratios. And I see that Karma Carpenter's on the chat. And she, Karma, maybe you can put up the link to your uh, organization so people who um, want more movement-based practice can visit you there. So I want to just, uh, before everyone drops off, thank everyone for being here tonight. This has been a terrific um, audience, and, and these are terrific questions that are being asked. And I, I definitely want to thank all of our presenters for sharing such great information and for um, generously giving of your time beyond our 9 p.m. and um, Eastern time to, um, to continue this conversation. But I, I also want to let you know that if you do need to leave for some reason, um, you should feel free to do that. And, and I want to um, especially thank David for taking the time out of his busy schedule. Um, I hope that lots of folks are um, going to tune into the film on April 7th um, because I think there's a lot more for them to learn and I, I hopefully will uh, foster you know, additional conversation and thought on their parts. So um, thank you, everyone, so much for, for being a part of tonight's event. And I don't want to um, shut down the, the Q&A if people still have questions and, and um, our presenters still have energy to answer them, then um, please continue. But I didn't want to have folks leave without um, having the opportunity to thank them. And, th and thank you, uh, Jenny, for making this all happen. It was just it was a fascinating experience for me to just participate and watch it all happen. And it, it's it's an uh, it's an incredible tool. I loved it too. You made it very very accessible and inclusive and fun, Jenny. Thank you. Hey, Win, put up your put up your URL. It's in the document, but put it up. So Win Kinder just typed in, and she's the Wellness Works um, in Lancaster. 
She happens, because I'm noticing the conversation on um, color, she happens to be a um, Caucasian woman um, who is very, very effective in teaching in the inner city in Lancaster. Okay, well, good night, all, and thank you once again. It was really great. Yeah, thank thanks, you, thanks to all of you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Jenny, are you still there? I'm still here. Is there a way to see the um to see the chat? Does the chat get saved anywhere? Yes. Yes. So we record. Um, we offer three recordings. So we'll we'll post a recording of the entire event, which will look very much. It'll open in an illuminate window as though you're here for the whole thing. But then we also uh, post a recording just of the chat log. So it's basically a transcript of everything that was said in the chat. And then we also have an audio only version. So all three of those will go up on the PBS teachers site and uh, the classroom 2.0 site as soon as we have a chance to process them, which hopefully will be by the end of the day tomorrow, but if not, will be on Monday. And then you are welcome to post them on your own site as well if you want to. Great. Great. Thank you. Okay. Oh, someone here said, anyone going to answer my question? Uh, <laughs> did right. Would you, would you put your question in again, Sid Wright, because I'm not sure we saw it. So I'm Julian. waiting and hope someone will address mindfulness therapy to treat EFC and brain injury survivors. Um, Bonnie, I'm, I've heard this question asked um, twice in the last, or maybe even three times on th in three different forums in the last week. I'm not sure if all of them are you or not. Um, so I think there's, there's interest, but again, no, no current data. And again, I'd go to mindfulnesstogether.net and see if you can find a research colleague or other interested parties. Julianne is asking about the tree image, and I know that there is actually a citation on that slide. Um, so I'll type that into the chat window. And you know what? I think the citation on that slide is not correct. Oh. Um, Forgive us all. It's uh, email communication. Um, the the picture actually comes from Flickr, and I found it by going to Flickr and putting in the word choice, and it comes up. And then you can actually communicate with the photographer himself or herself. I'm not sure actually. Perfect. Thank you. Um, there's a question here from Sid Wright, which. Amy has kind of already answered, but I think that how you teach um, how you teach mindfulness in a conservative environment is not to teach Buddhism, but to teach mindfulness. And in order to do that, um, 
you need to demonstrate the value of mindfulness. And often the best way to do that is through existing research and um, anecdotal evidence. Um, and you still may have a difficult time. Yeah, and the the document that's on the site is is really written to address um, this and and was written actually with the intention that yeah. it could in and of itself be presented to a school administrator or PTO board or whatever you want. Yeah, I just um, looked at it again a little bit when uh, uh, when Dan announced that it was up, and it really, I I think I'd start with that. It's really, it could be really effective. And Deborah Steinberg asked about the reference to the JAMA article. That's in that guide as well, is it not, Amy? Yes, it is. Yeah, here's some more. Yeah. And I don't I'll save that comment for later. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Have we have we addressed um, as much as we can address in this format, knowing that uh, you can certainly contact um, all of us for more specific requests? I think so, yeah. I think um, that now is, is a good time to sign off. Um, we've given folks a lot to think about and a lot of links to um, find what we've talked about. So. Um, Thank you again so much for being here and for sharing this terrific information and for writing this wonderful guide that now lives on the website. Um, I really, really appreciate all of the time and, and thoughtfulness and effort that you've put into um, this project. Good night, everyone. Good night. May you all be happy. Okay, folks, just so you know, I'm going to go ahead and close out the room in, in two minutes. So um, you will, as soon as uh, you, you can close out your browser window or it will close out for you and uh, the survey will pop up on your computer. And if you want to get a letter confirming your attendance, um, you, can, you can access it there. Um, just got downloaded, unfortunately. Um, Randy, if you just joined us, don't worry. We're recording the whole event, and we're going to post the recording on PBS Teachers. So if you visit us at pbsteachers.org, you can access the full recording um, as though you were here. And thank you, Kim. I, I should have said that earlier. I apologize. Thank you so much for being here and for your help with moderating tonight. Okay, I'm closing out now. Good night, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>